Again, this evening, I want to welcome each one to come here this evening in expectation of what God has for us, right? I, I've enjoyed being here immensely with you all and renewing some of these acquaintances, not all of them, but some of them. And we've been blessed a lot already, and I've, I've enjoyed these studies and but tonight, I'll uh, be real honest, I'm, I, I feel like the, the topic that I have tonight, I, I don't know and don't understand very well. I was intending to preach something totally different this evening and this afternoon. It just seemed like this was what I was, God just impressed this on me, that this is what I'm supposed to talk about. So I will try to do that, but I don't feel like I understand the subject very well. title of the message this evening is, The Disciple... And offenses, disciple and offenses, talking about offenses tonight, what Jesus taught about it, and then how, what does that mean for us? How do, how do, we, how do we live with offenses, and, and what, what do we do with these things? I would say the fact that some of y'all have lived here together for probably close to 20 years is probably, probably a testament that y'all have probably been offended at each other, have or you have offended the other person, but you've somehow worked through that. And so here, here you still are. And Jesus talks a lot about offenses. I, it just, we're not going to have time to go through nearly all the passages He talked about that. But I, I, was, I was kind of surprised some of the things Jesus said about them. The... Greek word that he used most times, there's two words that he used, one word just occasionally, but the word he used most times was scandalizo. And it's the same, the same word that we get our, our English word scandal from. And these are some of, the de- some of the definitions of that word. It says, to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall, to entice to sin, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. See, some of the times when he was talking about causing a, 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 one of these little ones to stumble, he was talking about that. Causing someone to begin to distrust and desert the one that he should be trusting and obeying. And it also has, there's a, there's a little bit of a word picture that it's, that it's in both of these words that he uses, but it's, this definition is in both of them. It says a trap stick. That is a snare, something to cause displeasure or sin. Now, have you ever been walking behind someone in the woods and you discovered you were taught you were walking too close behind them because as they're walking past these branches, either intentionally or unintentionally, they, they push up against this branch and they keep on walking. And as they walk and you're too close behind them, this branch snaps past them and hits you. And the first time that happens, you know, you're like, you know, a little bit. You know, like just watch what you're doing or, or quit it or whatever. But they keep doing that off enough to you and you'll get pretty bent out of shape if they keep snapping you in the face for sure enough times. And that's a little bit the picture that this is a trap stick. Something that's bent back and as you come past, this thing whams you. And one of the reasons that offenses, I think sometimes we're, sometimes we mistake them is that they can be intentional or unintentional. Not always when someone does something to upset me, was it intentional? 
Not always when somebody says something and I hear about it, was it meant the way that I think it was meant? And so it can be intentional or unintentional. It can be real or it can just be perceived. If I think that you're looking at me a little crooked the last six months and, and I, I think you're avoiding me, and then I hear something that you say that I don't really appreciate because of the previous circumstances, my, my suspicions, I'm going to automatically put it in the worst light that it could be. And that's because it's a perceived a perceived wrongdoing. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. These are Jesus' words. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Luke 17, verse 1. Then said Jesus to his disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. He said it's impossible to go through life without ever somebody doing something that you don't approve of. Something that, that could, could be an offense. Either a stumbling block, an intentional, or something that, that gets your attention and causes you to, to distrust or desert someone. Ultimately, God. Um, but Jesus says it's impossible, but that's just going to happen. So... Whether we admit it or not, it's probably something that is a part of our life. Probably far more times than we realize. Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Over here in North Carolina somewhere, there's a, there's a castle that... I didn't really tour it. One of the, one of the men I worked for... Um, they had a place over in North Carolina right close to that castle. So we drove past it one time and that thing looked to me like there was no way to get in there. It was kind of on a hill anyhow to start with. But it looked to me like there was no way to get in there unless they wanted you to go, go in there. Um, over in Europe and, and England, Spain, some of those places, they have a lot of castles that are still remaining. And you pretty much can't get into those places unless they want you to. Those places were conquered in the past, but it was, it was with a lot of effort. And this verse in Proverbs is saying that a brother that is offended, a person, a brother or sister, I'm going to use the word brother part of the time because that's what, that's what these verses use, but I think it talks about a man or a lady. It's harder to be won than, than it is to get into, inside of that city. And it's pretty difficult to get inside of that city if they don't want you in there. But it's harder to make up with a person and, and to, to really have that trust and that relationship restored than to get inside that city. And then we ask ourselves the question, have I ever offended or hurt someone? Probably. I would, I would say, hopefully it was always unintentionally, but it's probably, it probably has happened. And sometimes... When people discover that they've hurt someone, they say, well, he or she's too sensitive anyhow. Like, if they're that sensitive, we're never going to get anywhere in our relationship because everything I say, they're going to take offense at. That, you know, the, they're again removing the blame from me. I'm not responsible for that. You know, it's his problem, her problem. Another thing that sometimes said, well, it was just the truth. I just said the truth. Like, if you can't handle that, you need to grow up or... Maybe it is the truth. Maybe 
We don't speak the truth often enough, but if we speak the truth in love, it will, there, will, there, will be a, there will be a difference. And then a question that I asked myself this afternoon was, how am I supposed to know when I've offended someone? Because unfortunately, most humans, I shouldn't say most, a lot of humans, especially, especially in the South, we don't really have the guts to tell someone when, they, when, they've, when we're upset with them. We kind of pretend like it's going on. Now you go up north far enough, they're going to tell you exactly what they think, and that's that's just that's not a that's not a um, that's not a slam against one one part of the country or the other. But that's just that's that's the way it is. At least maybe I've made too many friends. Um, maybe let's say it this way: the all the people that I know when that's when that's when they come that part of the country they come from. That's pretty much the story. Um. But we want people to be happy. We want people to feel good about us. And so even though I'm, I'm a little frustrated with you, I'd rather you don't know that. And I'll, you know, I'll get over it somehow. And so, how am I supposed to know if you don't tell me? How am I supposed to know if nobody tells me that I did something or said something to hurt him? Did Jesus worry about this? Did Jesus care? My first my first. Um, the answer was well, not really. I mean, he was pretty, he was pretty blunt when he talked to the scribes and the Pharisees, and some of the things that he knew, that he said. I think he knew before he said them this was going to cause problem, but he said them anyway. Matthew seventeen. We'll begin reading in verse twenty-four. Read a couple of verses there. Remember, this is from the life of Jesus. And as His disciples, we're going to try to learn from His life and from His teaching. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Jesus saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that cometh up first. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Jesus, it depended on the situation, I guess you could say, what he or how much he, how much he cared about what people thought. And I don't in any way want to paint a picture that Jesus was carnal. Even though He was a man, He was not carnal. But in this case, this word, this is still the same word that means to scandalize or, or a, to create a scandal. So He says, so that we don't create a scandal. So we don't scandalize them. So that we don't trip them up or, or give them something else to to trip up on. I think Jesus was aware that these people already had enough had enough gripes with him that they didn't need one other thing to chew on and to try to to try to figure out what he what he what he thought about this. There was times when people came to him, that lady especially that the Canaanite woman that came to him and I want to go read that story, but she came to him and, and she asked Jesus to heal her daughter, I think it was. And anyhow, she wanted some of Jesus' time, some of His attention. 
And he said, well, he wasn't sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and she, she goes on and she, she's like, yeah, but, but still, even the children, he's, I forget how, another thing he said was, you know, it's not meat that I should give the children's food to the dogs. The children were the Israelites. She was a Canaanite. She was one of the dogs. And even then, she didn't leave. And so when you think about that aspect, Jesus was like, I just I can't believe that Jesus would say something to her because I wouldn't tell my best friend that. I mean, maybe in jest, if I knew that they knew I was just kidding, I might. But I would not tell somebody that if, for sure not if I was dead serious like Jesus was. But then Jesus at the end, He said, you know, I haven't found that much faith in the house of Israel yet. She just stuck with it. And she did not take offense, even though she could have. Even though I would have. If any one of y'all would tell me that when I'm in earnest and I'm honestly asking for help and you would liken me to a dog, I'd probably say, well, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And I probably would, probably every time I see you, I'd remember that statement. That lady didn't. So did Jesus care? I think He did. But Jesus also, He was also, He also knew that this is a hard issue. He knew that like, like we talked about like riches last night, this, these, this offense thing is a hard issue. It is a choice. And any person that was that desperate for the blessing of God was not going to take offense. Mark chapter 9. The disciples have been arguing about who was the greatest. Who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus takes... Hope I got my passages right. Yeah, Jesus takes this little child, puts him in the middle, and he says, Whoever's going, Whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. He was, he was telling them how being greatest isn't even that that doesn't even you've got to become like a child if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven. And then John in verse 38 it almost seems like John was trying to change the subject. John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. Then Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Then the very next verse, he says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, I don't want to take this out of context. I think he is talking about, he, there is a chance at least that he was talking about that little child that he had. But this was, I would say we'd have to call him a new believer, a new Christian. He couldn't have believed in Jesus very long because Jesus hadn't been there for more than a couple of years max. And so here this man is, John said they saw him, and he was casting out devils in Jesus' name. And they told him to follow, to come with him. And he was like, no, he wasn't going to do that. And so they told him, he, he better stop doing that. He better stop casting out devils in, in the name of Jesus. And so right after Jesus got done reprimanding him for that, he says, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was drowned in the sea. 
Was he talking about the little children? Or was he talking about that man that to the best of his knowledge and with all the zeal and the fervor that he knew how was living, was working in the kingdom of God? This man was casting out devils. And Jesus told him, you know, if he didn't have my name, if he didn't believe me, he couldn't be doing it. It just wouldn't work. And by them commanding him to stop that because he didn't go with them, that could, could majorly have been a stumbling block. He could have made this man become discouraged and be like, you know, if Jesus' own disciples don't want me doing this, should I even be doing this? I think sometimes, subconsciously, we're guilty of a little bit the same thing. You know, this person doesn't look like what I think a Christian looks like. This person doesn't go to my church. This person doesn't belong to a group of people that I fellowship with. This person even teaches and preaches a little differently than anybody I've ever heard. And so we automatically discount them or we automatically, we're like, I don't know if I have anything to do with him. And I'm not saying there's never a place for that if there's obvious heresy. But I love what Jesus said. Be careful what you do. Be careful when someone doesn't go to your, doesn't come with you and doesn't stay with you and doesn't, doesn't follow you, that you don't try to discourage them and get them to stop. Because remember what we said as a disciple of Jesus, we start at different times. I understand a lot less about God, I'm convinced, than what Floyd does because he's, he has been, he's been looking into God and studying God for a lot longer than I have. And so while we're at different places, we're different parts, we're different um, places in our walk, let's be careful that we don't offend a person that is genuinely trying to the best of his ability and the best of his knowledge to serve God in the capacity where he's at. Now, if there's problems there, if there's obvious wrongs there, then let's do like... Um, Priscilla and Aquila did. Let's take that person aside and let's try to help him understand the truth. But let's not stop him. Let's try to help him. Let's try to encourage him. Remember, to be a, to offend someone can be to cause him to fall away or to begin to distrust and desert one that he ought to trust and obey. So whether he was talking about these, whether he's talking about literal children, whether he's talking about new Christians, whether he was talking about this man that was trying, that was casting out devils in Jesus' name, he was saying, "Don't cause them to stop. Don't make them start wondering if this is right." First Corinthians chapter eight. Now these are not Jesus' words. These are the words of Paul. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. There's some verses in here that I would like to look at. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And on down in this chapter, he talks about if, if, he know, if you know it causes your brother to stumble, don't eat meat. If, if, you, if you know that doing something, and he, he kind of limited it to meat here, stuff that was sacrificed to idols, but, but it, it could be anything in life. It could be words you say. It could be specific actions that you have. I, I'm not sure what all it could be, but it, it could be anything here. 
But this verse, this first verse ends with such a vital part or such a vital thought thinking about offenses and not doing something because you know it's going to offend someone. It says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Paul said, am I not an apostle? Couldn't I sit here and y'all have to support me? Don't I have a right to get married and have a wife like y'all do? Who's to tell me that I can't eat meat that I want to? Paul even says that. Who says that I can't? Don't I have the right to eat what I want to? He says, there's, you know, some person sees this meat and they know it's offered to an idol and that bothers them. But he says, I don't believe in idols anything. He says, we don't believe in idols anything. So, but he says, but, but he, he, he ends this first verse, knowledge puffeth up. I know this, right? But charity edifieth. You know, love really is, is what gonna, what's going to keep us from, even though we know we could do something with a clear conscience even. Because I know how that's going to affect you, my brother, my sister. I choose not to. It's just the love. It's not, it's not that I couldn't. It's only the love that's going to keep me from doing that. In verse 12, he says, but when you sin so against your brother, he's talking about doing something that you know is going to cause your brother to stumble. But when you sin so against a brother and you wound your weak and wound their weak consciences, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. We're talking about to offend someone, and we'll we'll talk about a little different side of this maybe a little later where where maybe we're talking about to be offended, but we're talking about to offend someone. I would have a real problem. I would I would have a hard time if I knew that that it caused a problem for you to know that I ate some good steak or pork or whatever, that I would just I would just choose to not eat that as long as I live, like Paul says. I would my tendency would be, and and, and I don't know if this is if this is right or wrong, but I my tendency would be if, if I know that you don't eat pork chops, I'm not gonna invite you over and feed you pork chops because it'd be an offense. It would cause you to stumble because you know that I know that. You know that I intentionally did this, or maybe it wasn't intentional, maybe I just forgot. Um, but Paul was saying when when you do something intentionally and you cause someone to you cause someone to stumble, you cause someone to lose their way, or you cause someone to become discouraged. He says, you are sinning against Christ. And I take that as a pretty serious, a pretty serious accusation for me to sin against Christ. You know, if Christ is my if Christ is my rabbi, if he's my master and he's my teacher, that's the last person I'm going to want to sin against, to cause a problem for one of his children, one of his disciples. Our individualistic culture for sure doesn't appreciate this statement that Paul said. And while I'm not while I'm not saying that there's never a place to totally the rest of your life not do something, there could be. There could absolutely be. Our individualistic culture we live in doesn't doesn't really appreciate that. It's kind of more like, well, as long as that person doesn't see me, it's okay. And for some things, I believe that's the way it is. Um 
there is something that I believe we should try to cultivate as a church, and that's that is what I would call either group conscience or I'm not sure there maybe there's a better word to describe that where where if I know that something called that I know that half the brother have a problem with something and it may not be in our agreements i'm I'm okay if you don't have everything spelled out. I think that's actually the best if you're if your agreements aren't so if you because you can't you cannot spell everything out. But if I know that even though it's, I'm not violating a church agreement not to do this or to do this, but I know that half the brethren would, would really have a problem with that. Because of that conscience, I don't do that. Remember, knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. Because I love you and I care for you, I'm just not going to do that. And you will find that that is a tremendous blessing. You will find that if you do it with a genuine heart of love, it doesn't grate on you to do that. You find that to be a joy. What am I willing to give up for the peace and the perfection of my brother, my sister, my brotherhood? Like I mentioned, the flip side of the coin then is to be offended. To be the one that is offended. There are way too many counselors, psychiatrists, all these people trying to figure out what part of my past was went wrong or what happened in my past to make me act the way I do now and and try to help me figure out what my present problem is i'm not saying there's never a place for that you know the past is there and if it's never dealt with it's still there and so there is there's i believe there is a place to go back and and try to discover some of that but it has to be done with the intent to help the person work through that and then let that go. Um, I know a few people myself that have this crutch that they're leaning on because this is a part of their past that is, that is dictating their actions. You know, their explosive anger outbursts are because of this. Um, there's, one, there's one man I know that I believe he's I believe he has tried to forget the past and has tried to move on. But he has never he has never talked with his dad about some of the things that he's bitter about. And now his dad has died and so he's never going to be able to. His brother has his brother has been it's amazing to me to see his life. Because about five or six years ago, and these these are older men, they're they're in their forties. Five or six years ago. This one man went back and he talked with his dad about these things. And he told his dad about how this felt. And the, the anger and the abuse. And, and, just, and they, they talked about those things. And they, they cried together about these things. We're talking about the dad was a kind of an Amish, kind of an Amish background. I'm not sure what they were, but, but pretty, pretty reserved culture. But they talked about these things and they dealt with those things. And that man has been able to go on because these things were hindering him. They were an offense to him. They were, he was stumbling. And his family, he was duplicating the same thing that his dad had done. Even though that was the last thing he wanted to do, he was, he was duplicating that, the anger and the frustration. and That's what he was duplicating. But he found help and he found rest. And today, that's not how he's treating his family. That's not how his family life is. But the other man is still struggling along in the same... I'm not saying that person, that brother can get help. I know he can. 
But he's never going to have the privilege to go back to his dad and to to totally find the find. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be a journey for him, more so than his brother that did that. The other brother no longer has a crutch to lean on. He has no excuses. He does not make excuses for himself and for his past because that is now in the past. He's dealt with it. So when we when we when we are when we're trying to help people that are offended, people that have these walls in the past, they keep butting up against. If we have to go back there, let's do it. But then let's help them to be able to move on and go past that offense. Matthew six fourteen and fifteen. Jesus says, "For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not." Men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Do I really believe that those words that my master spoke are still valid today? Do I believe that? If I don't forgive, neither can my father forgive me. Luke 17, verse 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, Repent, thou shalt forgive him. You know, if you did something to me seven times a day, you came back the seventh time, I would want to grab you, and I would want to shake you, and I would want to tell you that there is evidence that you're not sorry for this. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you come back the seventh time, forgive him. Forgive him. A lot of things in life, we can just forgive the person and we can go on. And that's the last of it. Some people can do more of that than others. We have different, we have different levels of sensitivity and, and some of us have better memories than another. Um, and so if you have, if you're one of those people that has an extremely sharp memory and, and you can remember details, I mean, you're going to have a harder time by yourself being able to forgive that person to move on. So if you can forgive that person and that does not, that doesn't bring anything into your relationship, it doesn't hinder anything, do it. That's the way to do it. If you cannot, do what Jesus said here. Go talk to Him. And if he repents, forgive him. And I would also say if he doesn't repent, you still better forgive him. Because I heard a quote, I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 14 years old. Roland Ulrich, he's from California, was church I was at and he was preaching. He, he, he gave this quote, I didn't write it down, but I think I've remembered it word for word. He said, unforgiveness is the poison I drink hoping the other person's going to die. And so, even if you go to your, your brother, your sister, and you tell them, hey, this is what I heard you said about me. And that person doesn't back down. Well, yeah, that's really, you know, that's, I meant it. And, and if, they're, if they're, it doesn't matter how obnoxious they are. With God's help, and maybe with the help of someone else, you better work towards forgiveness. Because if you don't, that unforgiveness is going to become poison. And it's not going to kill the other person. It's not going to even hurt the person that said that. They have their own set of problems. But it's going to begin to poison me. It's going to poison my reactions to them first. And then it's going to begin poisoning my reactions to my family, my 
relationship with my family. It's going to begin to poison my relationship with the church, with my neighbors. It's really just going to poison a lot of life. And all it is is one specific instance that now has become the ruler of my whole life. And the other person doesn't even suffer from it. For sure, if you've talked with them and they haven't done anything about it, their conscience isn't going to bother them. Another thing to think about when we're the one that is offended and we're the one that's hurt, always try to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And that's hard to do if you already don't love them. If, you're, if I've already got a gripe with you, I'm going to have a hard time doing that. But try to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And oftentimes when you do that, the issue becomes a non-issue or a much smaller issue. Maybe they didn't mean it like that. Assume that they were that they meant that as a as a as a compliment. Assume that maybe because it came through five different people, it wasn't even like that. It wasn't even accurate. Um, give the other person the benefit of the doubt. A true mark of forgiveness, I think, is when that when that does not come up again, when that issue does not resurface again, when every time that a specific issue or subject or whatever is crossed and there's someone that's there and you know uh, we're going to have he's going to air all his dirty laundry about this instance in his life maybe it was maybe it was you know parents maybe it was his home maybe it was church maybe it was a neighbor or something and you know you have to listen through this whole thing again and again as this person works himself up into a frenzy that person hadn't forgiven i don't i don't care what he tells you he has not forgiven When that subject is broached and that person blows up and, and he says a lot more than he says, you some, I've already asked the question, well, where did that come from? And I think the answer to that is it just came straight out of his heart because that's where it was. It is, like all these other things that Jesus taught about, it is a heart issue. There are There are families that live in that kind of suspense knowing that any day there's going to be a blow up. You know, if the wrong thing is said, it could be one of the children, it could be one of the parents, there's just going to be a blow up. There's that constant suspense. There are churches that live like that. There are countries that are like that right now. That just kind of sitting there knowing that not everything's okay. Obvious, there's nothing obvious wrong, but not everything's okay. And the wrong thing is just going to blow this thing up. I've personally sat through men's meetings where it was like that. And those are not enjoyable times. Those are not fun times. And you know that it's because there are things in, the, in this person's life that haven't been dealt with and this is, this is just going to come into the situation again because it always has. So I believe that really the root of unforgiveness is down there and it's just like a pack of dynamite down there. Dynamite of itself is absolutely harmless. If there's nothing to set it off, it can sit there for a hundred years. It can be under your pillow if you want it to be. And there's nothing wrong with it. But it's until something sets it off. And so, unforgiveness, no matter how far back in the past is, how far, in the, how far back in history that is, when that's there, it's, just, it's, it's still there, right? And a fuse is going to light that. As a nation, we've, we've experienced a little bit of that, right? 
between in the Civil War, the North and the South. There's, there's been that, there was that conflict there for several years. And it, it was, the conflict of itself wasn't that dangerous until something lit the fuse. That's why a lot of times um, homes disintegrate, churches disintegrate, and nations too. It's because there's something there that's not right. It's not love. In conclusion, Mark 11, verse 28. When ye stand praying, stand or kneel or sit or lay, whatever you're doing, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. For if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. That tells me that this is a salvation issue. This is an issue that makes a difference to, the, to whether or not you're going to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking about future, but it also affects where you're at in the kingdom of God today. It is a salvation issue. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespass. Do you want to be forgiven? I think the thing that we struggle with the most is seeing how much we have been forgiven. Um, we know when we're offended and we know when someone does something that annoys us and we'd really like them to own up to it. How many times have I been there? And it doesn't matter how many things you've got to forgive someone else, you're still forgiving way less than what your Savior, than what your rabbi has forgiven you. You know, he hung up there on that cross and He did that because of you. He did that because of me. He forgave all my rebellion. He forgave all my intentional ignorance. My ignoring His command and my ignoring His sacrifice. So what i got to forgive you is just, I mean, it's nothing compared to that. So when you stand praying, forgive. Let's bow our heads for a prayer.